in the beginning of a lot of our story, this is where we start. We start in the utter darkness. And the statement that we have for the beginning of our story is that we are dead in our sin and hopelessly lost. We are dead in our sin and we are hopelessly lost. And this statement is true, but this is not the beginning of our story. This is the beginning of our story if our story began with Genesis chapter 3, where we have the account of the fall recorded. But our story doesn't begin in Genesis chapter 3. Our story begins in Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis chapter 1, we have God. We have a God who decided that he was going to create and that the purpose of his creation was that he was going to build a family, that he was going to derive his glory, not merely from just him in and of himself, but that he was going to derive his glory through his creation, that his creation was going to be someone who would be his image bearers, that he was going to build a family. And into this family, he brings light. At the beginning of creation, we see light come into this world. Light that not only affirms and helps us understand the glory of God, but also to sustain this image-bearing creation of his. He creates an ecosystem that is perfectly tuned, putting his creation on a planet that is perfectly angled toward a nearby star so that we would have enough solar energy and enough, enough energy that comes from the thermal powers of the, of the planet itself to even sustain the life and growth that happens. He decided to do this, and into the darkness he breathed light, and over this creation, this image-bearing creation, his first words was not of wrath and sin. His, worst, his first words over his creation were that of praise. He created man, and he created woman, and he called them what? Good. The first words, the beginning of our story, Genesis chapter 1, the first words of our story begin with God, the creator of the universe, singing over his creation the praise of This is good. And into this perfect ecosystem, and into this perfect family, we decided to rebel from this good God, and that's when all of a sudden the separation happened. This absolute cataclysmic separation. And in this state, Genesis chapter 3, we have the statement that is affirmed and is actually true, that we are dead in our sin and hopelessly lost. See, but that is not the beginning. The beginning of our story starts in Genesis chapter 1. By the time we get to Genesis chapter 3, we realize that this is our state, but this is not the end of the story. Just as much as this statement isn't the beginning of our story, it is not the end of our story. Because from Genesis chapter 3 on, we see God employing a strategy. And that strategy was to bring about a way that he would actually be able to go back to what he had done in the very beginning and build that family back together. The problem with that was, is this absolute separation between us and God was such a great separation that this was not something that this creation, this broken creation, who was hopelessly lost, could attain by themselves or in their own good deeds. And so instead, what God did was that God actually made a way for them to come back home. That he actually made a way from God becoming man. And all of a sudden, on the cross, all of that wrath that was intended for man was brought on himself. All that darkness that we were sitting in and and waiting in was brought upon himself in the cross and he died for our sins on the cross but he didn't stay dead like if he stayed dead and he just paid for our sins that'd be one thing that'd be amazing but we see that that wasn't the end of the story because that was the beginning of a new story see this God who paid for our sin was still working in his people still building his family back together and this process that point of from the cross on that that process is called sanctification 
Now we've been in this series in Rooted where we've been talking about a bunch of key things about what we believe. But by the time we get to this fancy word of sanctification, it's a word that you're never going to throw around at a party and impress anybody. Because they'll have no clue what you're talking about. So we're going to explain it. So at the next party, you can throw it out. (laughs) You can actually explain it and help them understand. Because this word, this word means so much. And if you've got your notes, we're going to go and unpack what we as a church believe. As a church, within our articles of faith. When it gets to the part about sanctification, what is it that we believe? And so what we're going to talk about this morning is the what of sanctification, the how and the why of sanctification, and the when. When does this take place? So first off with the what. The first part of our statement of faith as a church says, we believe that every believer, everyone who's who's asked Christ to forgive their sins, is set apart, that is sanctified. Sanctification just means set apart. If you're taking a camping trip, you decide what you're going to pack into the van, right? You're going to, what you're going to pack into the truck. You do not put your fridge in the truck. You don't, you don't put the the sofa in the truck. You do that if you're moving, but if you're camping, you're trying to figure out what's the minimal amount of things that we can use to survive out there. And so you set apart certain things. This this tent, this is set apart. Am I going to live in this 24-7, 365? No, it's a camping tool. This is something for, this is set apart for that purpose. And so believers are set apart or sanctified unto God by the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every believer is therefore declared to be holy and identified as a what? A saint. Okay, now you, we may need some time to wrap our brain around that, but if you're a Christian, Scripture says that you are a saint. I mean, this is Saint Chad over here. It's Saint Dave, Saint Ken, and some of you might be going, "Yeah, right." I mean, no way. I mean, this. And if I asked your your, your spouse, they'd say, "Nope, not a chance." And the reason that that is is because we all know each other. We all know each other well enough to say, yeah, I'm not a saint. When I think of a saint, I'm thinking of like this person that has done some, like their whole life is sacrificial. You've got this amazing track record. And that qualifies you. If you've done enough things in life, and within some church traditions, if you've done a couple of miracles, boom, then all of a sudden you've got qualification for being a saint. That's a, that makes total sense in religiosity, but it makes no sense as far as, far as the Bible. Because... We don't earn or get qualified for sainthood. What, what qualifies us for sainthood is the fact that Jesus declared us righteous on the cross. That, that all of a sudden, we're, we're no longer looked, you are looked at as if you've never sinned. And so, all of a sudden, you have that ability. When Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, he starts off his letter by saying this, to the church of God that is in Corinth, and to those who are sanctified, which means what? Set apart, right? Set apart. In Christ Jesus, and called to be saints. With all those in every place who called on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't say these guys. If you know anything about the church in Corinth, they were messed up. They had some serious issues. So if you're thinking, I mean, this is like, like calling the people, you know, I was, the people on, on Jerry Springer, you know, you guys are just saints. Every single one of them. No! The church in Corinth was Jerry Springer's show, but in church form. And Paul is saying, I'm not talking about your, the stuff that's going on in your life. I'm talking about who you are in Christ. You are declared a saint. You are a saint. That's the what of sanctification. We're set apart. The, uh, all of a sudden we get down here to the next section, which is, says, in yielding to the Spirit and obedience to the Word of God, the believer is able to live a life of increasing holiness, becoming more and more the Lord, like the Lord Jesus Christ, though never reaching sinless perfection in this life. That section right there is, is, this helps us understand the how and the why of sanctification. 
Okay, we'll start off with the why. Why, why are we sanctified? What's the purpose? Like, what's the big idea with that? It's, and that section right there says it. It says, becoming more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the purpose. Paul says in Romans, now if we died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died for, to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So the point of you getting saved wasn't just to take care of your sins. The point of you getting saved was that you become more and more like Jesus. That's the why. Why sanctification? To become more and more like Jesus. So how in the world does that happen? I mean, how, how, how does that take place? The how it helps us, under, we understand that through this. In yielding to the Spirit, in obedience to the Word of God, the believer is able to live a life of increasing holiness. And so it's kind of like this work that, that the Holy Spirit's doing inside of us through, through God's Word. We talked about it a couple weeks back that it's kind of like God the Father is, is the architect of the plan to bring you about into the creation He wants you to become, to make you just like Jesus. Jesus paid the price. He footed the bill for the building with His blood. And the Holy Spirit is the laborer. The Holy Spirit is the one who's actively working inside of you, if you're a believer, to finish that job. And he uses the, the scriptures. Second Timothy says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So that, that, that's, that's what happens, or that's the purpose of it. But when does it happen? When does this all take place? I love this line here in our Articles of Faith. There's a conflict between the new creation in Christ and the flesh that continues throughout this earthly life. How many of you have noticed that, that, that when you became a Christian, it didn't, just, didn't go like boom, and all of a sudden everything was like easy? Yeah? Okay, how many of you realized you woke up the next day and you, you still had issues? And that, that kind of bums you out, right? Like I, like I thought that part of the package was new creation. This is like... Improved creation, but I don't feel like it's a new creation. I don't feel like totally transformed because I still struggle with some of the stuff I struggled with back then. Did it not take? Am I just like, am I, how many of you have been the type of person that when you buy something, like you're like, oh man, I can't wait to get this, and you finally buy it, and then all of a sudden you're looking at it, and, and there's a part of it that's flawed or broke, or it breaks before you think it should, and all of a sudden you think, man, I'm the one, I'm the only one that gets the defective one. Everyone else has like the perfect one because I see them, they've got it, it works for them, but mine, mine broke. That, I, I always feel that way. But that, that, that's sometimes in our, in our faith, we've got that perspective. Like maybe I'm the one that, that, that screwed up. Maybe I'm the one that, that this didn't take. But this reminds us that this process, this process of sanctification takes place over the course of a lifetime. It's not instantaneous. You're instantly saved. But the process of you becoming set apart and more and more progressive holy, the when of that is over your whole life. Paul, Paul was totally honest about this when he said, so I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is suspect to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, the good news is, is that if you are finding yourself still struggling with sin, you find yourself still falling, God isn't like, well, you know what? You had your chance. I offered you salvation. Clearly, you're not a new creation, so I'm kicking you to the curb. 
We don't see that. Instead, what we see is a radical difference. We, have, when we see this progression that he's doing in our life. And when we fall and when we fail, and we will, he reminds us that he's not done with us. And there's grace. There's grace. Come back home. Let's get started back up. Let's go ahead and do this once again. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. One way to think about this that, that helps me is to think about um, the way salvation is as a point and a process. The point is, when, when, that point when I was forgiven, and so a theological word for that is justification. When was the, the moment where you asked Jesus to forgive your sins? When you said, God, I realize that I, I'm, a, I'm someone who does have sin, and I'm asking you to forgive him. I can't do this on my own. I can't, I can't make this happen on my own. When was that point in your life when that took place? What was the point? That was when justification. Not, when Jesus died on the cross, when he died for our sins, that took place. But see, again, the point wasn't the point. The point of God wasn't merely just to get you saved so that you don't go to hell. The point was that God would all of a sudden unlock in you the ability to become more and more like Jesus. And that is the process that God uses to continue the work in my life from the moment that I was saved, the moment I asked Jesus to forgive my sins on, and that's sanctification. So you had justification as the point, boom, that moment when you ask Jesus to forgive your sins, and sanctification is the process afterwards. And a lot of times, as we as believers, we, we just totally don't realize that the process is part of what God desires in our heart. I want, I want you to think about it this way. Um, think about high school. Some of you in this room were really, 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 really smart. Some of you, not so much. All right, so we're going to be totally honest here. And, and I don't want you to feel like you have to, um, that this is bragging or anything. But if you were, if you, in high school... You, you were pretty smart. I mean, let's say that you were just above average smart. You were, as far as smart goes, you were smart, smart. Just, if you could just raise your hand. If you're, okay, all right. Ken, all right. Okay, others? Okay, good, awesome. All right, all right. Mike, you too? All right, right on. Okay, all right. So, okay. Who in here, not so much? You are on the more bottom side. It's, you know, it's a gift of God that you even passed. Okay, Josh, okay. <laughs> all right. All right, so I'm going to use Ken, and I'm going to use Josh as our example here, okay? So thank you guys, by the way, for doing this. Um, Ken, let's trump up your, your accolades. I mean, you were, you were above average. You were really brilliant, but let's say that you were just, like, perfect. Like, I mean, you, you, were, you were acing every single honors class, AP's, AP class. Your schedule at the school is just, it's amazing, perfection. By the time you graduate, let's say, like, not only is the school flipping out, but the whole town is blown away at how brilliant you are. Harvard. Harvard calls you and says, we would just love for you to come. We're paying for everything. We're even going to pay for, pay for your food. You're amazing. And so all of a sudden, Ken is approaching his day of graduation. And they're just like blown away. Harvard's called him. He's got a full ride scholarship and everything else. And then there's Josh. Josh and Ken are in the same class, which is kind of weird. But Josh and Ken are in the same class. Josh, Josh, let's go ahead and take your record and just trump it down a little bit, okay? Take it down a notch. Let's say Josh, he couldn't pass a class. Like from freshman year, I mean, it was like, it wasn't like he was de-minusing and just getting by. He was like on the bottom rung of things. And not only that, he, it was, it's, a, it's lucky that they didn't kick him out because, I mean, he was just like, when you talked about Josh at school, it's like, man, you know, he's just like, not only is he a failure in, in academics, but he almost got kicked out for his bad behavior. I mean, he almost burned down my class. Do you remember that? Josh Koppel, he nearly burned down. And that teacher, he punched a teacher right in the face. And she was a grandmother. I mean, it was just, why would he do And so you got Josh and you got Ken, all right? So Josh is approaching graduation. Everybody knows Josh isn't going to graduate because it's Josh. Josh Koppel. 
the guy who's on the bottom rung. And so there's no hope. All of a sudden, graduation day comes. Ken receives his diploma. He receives his transcripts. He receives the letter of certification from Harvard that he is going on a full-ride scholarship. He's got this bright, beautiful future ahead of him. And he walks over to Josh. And he says, I'm giving you all of this. I'm going to take your failing transcripts, your failing record. I'm going to take those. I'm giving you my perfect grades, my perfect record, and the letter from Harvard. That you have a full-ride scholarship to Harvard. That's justification. That's, that's what Jesus did for us on the cross. And a lot of Christians stop there. But let's think about that in real life. If that actually happened, let's just say that that could happen. Josh goes to Harvard. And Josh has got this full-ride scholarship to Harvard. And he gets into his dorm and he just thinks, I, I totally could burn this down. I know I could. <laughs> and he goes to his first couple of classes like, I, I, this is way over my head. I mean, I appreciate what Ken did, but I can't, I can't compete academically in this environment. This is, this is way harder than high school. I'm, and, and so what Josh ends up doing is exactly what he did back in high school. He just kind of repeats the same bad behavior of sitting down and flunking everything out. And that, unfortunately, is what a lot of us as believers do with our faith. Well, I'm justified, right? I, I, my bad record was taken away. I'm good. All to realize that, that God is saying to us, the, re, the point wasn't just to get you graduated from high school. The point was to unlock a future that o- you could only have through me. Well, yeah, but I can't do this. This is too hard. Harvard is too hard. You're right. And so in this scenario, Ken comes back. And Ken actually comes to Harvard. And he tells Josh, you're going to graduate out of this school. You're going to graduate with honors. Ken, I can't do it. You're the one who's smart, not me. I know. But with me, you can pull this off. I'm going to tutor you every step of the way. And I'm never going to leave you. That's sanctification. Does that make sense? The point and the process. And this is all what God wants in our life. So how in the world do we pull that off? How do we step into that process of what he wants us to do? Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 1, Paul like is talking about how he's talking to, to uh, the church there and he says some pretty awesome stuff. One of, the, one of them is my favorite verse. And if you've been here eight weeks in a row, you probably have heard it um, referenced because it's one of my favorite verses. But it's Paul in chapter 1 verse 6 saying, he who began a good work in you will carry that on to completion. In other words, God's not done with you. That's actually what one of the cool things that sanctification tells me. Is that God's not, this is not as good as it gets. I mean, yeah, we can talk about heaven, but I mean, this is not as good as it gets here. That God is doing something inside of us to progress us here and now. Here in this world now. That he wants to continue to grow us and see progress happening. When we get to chapter 2, he says this. And take a look at verse uh, 12. And following, he says, therefore, dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now also in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. And there's no three easy steps to sanctification. Again, it's a process of a lifetime and it's difficult. But I want us to help us uh, just to get ourselves on that track of that work that God wants us to do. We have to understand a couple things. And the first, these are a couple of actions. The first action is letting the first chapter of our story speak into the ending chapters. 
realize that we are Genesis chapter 1 people. We are not Genesis chapter 3 people. That's not our starting point. Our starting point has to begin. If, if that was our starting point, God could have just deleted chapter 1 and chapter 2 out of the Bible. But he didn't. He kept that there to help us understand this is your backstory. This is your origin story. This is where you're coming from. This was God's ideal in Eden. This was a relationship between man and God. This is where it was. And the fall happened, but then the cross happened. And when the cross happened, all of a sudden he unlocked your ability to return to a relationship with God that resembles and looks like Eden, the way that it used to be. See, now, if we, if we don't do that, if we actually let sin and wrath be our origin story, that's where we begin in our story, all of a sudden, we have a Genesis 3 story speaking into our life and speaking into those end chapters. And that either make, makes us apathetic, like, totally like, well, you know, I guess it doesn't matter, or it makes us insecure. Here's what I mean by that. If sin is our center as a Christian, if, if, that, if my, my problems and my shortcomings and my issues that I'm struggling with is my center... That's what I keep on orbing around. Then what I end up doing is I end up either looking at what Jesus did on the cross as the total cure. He totally totally cured sin, but I know I still struggle with it. I know I still have issues with it. So, you know, it must be that, you know, he just totally paid for all this sin, and it doesn't matter how I live. I can totally live like the way I live between now and heaven is just kind of whatever. I'm apathetic. And that type of Christian life looks like zero transformation. Or you're on the polar opposite of that and you're insecure. Jesus died for my sin and I'm still struggling. And so I got to just fight this sin more and more and more. I'm, and I, I'm going to, I need, I, I'm a Christian and so I'm going to identify myself as a Christian. So I'm going to just keep on trying to end the sin in my life. I'm sinning again. Why am I sinning? I'm going to, I'm going to, I got to stop that. I'm going to go ahead and do, I'm going to go read the Bible more. I'm going to go to church more. Or I'm going to actually make my life even, even more pure than it was before. I'm just going to keep on doing this more and more and more. And what ends up happening is that we're running against the identity of this sin past and making that our new identity. To try to attain a new identity in God. And the reality is that, that that's not the way it works. That we, we actually are following God out of our identity. We're following God out of our identity in Genesis chapter 1. And so this, this concept doesn't work. A.W. Tozer put it this way. Just remember, sin is man's do- doing. Because it's man's doing, it has a limit to it. Grace is God's doing. And because it's God's doing, it has no limit to it whatsoever. Let us be the type of people that are chapter one believers. So the decisions that we're making as far as in our sanctification are coming from, I am doing this because I'm I'm not doing this because this isn't who I am anymore. I'm not trying to gain a new identity. The identity has been given to me in Christ. And so now I'm going to operate out of that more naturally. And when I see things that are off the radar, off the reservation in my life, then I'm going to go ahead and just give those back to God. But I'm I'm not frantic about this process. Second action is this. We need to work hard to daily surrender more of our life to God's restoration, even in the nitty-gritties. Now, here's the thing. This working hard part is something that you don't hear a lot of us as pastors talk about because we're really big on this grace thing. We're saved by grace. We're not saved by works. We're not saved by the things that we do. We're not earning, again, a salvation or identity in God. He's given that to us. But the truth is, is that God calls us in this process to be a part of of the sanctifi- sanctification process in the, what we work. Look at uh, verse 12, chapter 2, verse 12, when Paul says, continue, this is halfway through the verse, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work it out. Like, this is on you. 
Like, you, you are responsible to make decisions. To say, God, you've unlocked something in, in, in my salvation. You unlocked something on the cross. So now in this process, I can actually, I now have the ability to turn over to you things I couldn't do before. I have the ability to, to follow you in ways that I was totally foreign to before. And now that's something that I get a chance to experience. To work hard to daily surrender more of our life to God's restoration, even in the nitty-gritties. Which brings us to a very important question. What are your nitty-gritties? You may have never thought you'd be asked that in church, but I'm going to ask you, what are your nitty-gritties? What are the things in your life that, that are, are the, those aspects of your faith that are just not totally given over yet? Like when you became a Christian, there was probably some things where you're like, the next day, this was totally easy. This part, like I used to totally struggle with this. And I felt like right away, it diminished. It was gone. Like the, the desire was out. But there were still things in your life that God had to restore that, that still didn't look like Jesus. Those are the nitty-gritties. And a lot of times, we can like fool ourselves into thinking that the sanctification process of our life, which is supposed to take, care, take place over the course of our life, was finished on that first day. It started on that, that, day, that day, but it was not finished. What are your nitty-gritties? What are the areas of your life that need to mature and grow in Christ? Here's just a couple. I mean, there's tons. But one of them might be the knowledge of God. I'm a Christian. I, I'm saved, but I mean, I, don't, I just, I don't know a whole lot about God, and that's just the way I am. I'm not a big reader, and so like the Bible's kind of a, a difficult thing for me. What if you realize that the part of the sanctification process in your life is to, pro, to progress and to grow and say, you know what, over the course of the next year, or the next couple of years, I want to know more about God than I did before. And that's, that's through his word. And so if you're not a reader, I would encourage you to download YouVersion.com, like we've talked about before, to get a free Bible that can read to you. So you're like driving and you're hearing the scripture. And, and even if you think like, I don't know if I'm re- even retaining this stuff, I guarantee you that you are. Because it's the Holy Spirit's job, the laborer in your life. It's his job to help you understand more and more of who he is, who God is. And that, that's something that if you, if you say, God, I want to give that to you, he's going to do that. Secondly, your attitude. I mean... Over the course of your life as a Christian, we should be saying, you know what? I came into my faith and this was my attitude. When I was stressed out, this was my default attitude. When I was like frustrated or or ticked off at the people at my work or my spouse or my kids or my family or my parents, this is my default attitude. And that is, that's, that's home base for me. That's right where I go to normally. But over the course of my faith, I'm seeing transformation take place. I'm seeing growth take place. That my attitude, even my attitude, starts to grow. And this isn't instantaneous. And when you hit that point where your parent or your, or your kid or your neighbor or your sister or whatever totally frustrates you and you flip out, and you start to say, man, you know, am I, I thought I'm supposed to be growing in this stuff. Just pause right there and look back. And yeah, you fell right there. You failed. But look back and just see if you see God's fingerprints working on that area of your life. And saying, you know what? God is absolutely restoring me. The way that I respond to people that you don't like or who don't like you. Resisting temptation. Temptation is going to be something that's with you for the rest of your life, but are are you seeing God's strength? And if you're not, that's an area that he wants to grow. He wants to bring close to him so so that we're looking and acting more and more like Jesus. Generosity. You know, when you became a Christian, you might have been someone who totally mishandled your, your finances or your time. And I mean, even if, even if you were like someone who is super frugal, um, you may have been someone who is just 
you, you, that, that generosity was something that was off the grid. But then all of a sudden you became a Christian and that changed. Uh, and if it hasn't, maybe you're the type of person that says, maybe I need to think about my finances or my time and, and how, I, I like, how I'm generous with these things and, and, and watching as God grows those. See, this is the cool thing is that what this helps me rem- remember is this. That God's sanctifying work in, my, in me reminds me that he saved me from far more than a future hell and for far more than a future heaven. See, see the future, yeah, he's, if you're saved, are you saved from a future hell? Absolutely. But there's hell in everyday life that he saved you from to give you the ability to say, God, this, isn't, this, this is not of you. This is hell. I'm giving this to you. And did he save you for a future heaven? Absolutely. But not just for that, but to actually let heaven invade the everyday life and the chaos and the frustration and the, and the pain of this, of this world right now. God's sanctifying work in me reminds me that that reality is true. So letting the first chapter, the chapter one of Genesis, speak into the rest of my life, working hard to daily surrender more of my life to God's restoration, even in the nitty-gritties, and trusting him to oversee, empower, and pull off the job of restoration. Here's the cool thing. Look at the next, or let's just read the um, 12, halfway through 12 and then into 13. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Okay, so that first part, that's our responsibility. We're to work hard at it. But look at the second part. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. So who's making sanctification happen? Is it you or is it God? Paul is is bipolar here. (laughs) He seems to be saying both, or not bipolar, I guess schizophrenic. He's he's saying a little bit of both. But the truth is, is that ultimately it is, if you are someone who is boldly giving over areas of your life, saying, God, I want you to grow, I want to see progress in this area of my life, it is actually God who empowers that process. He calls you to step up to the plate. He calls you to be responsible but it's actually him who's giving you the strength to pull that off. And so if this is transforming you, how do you actually pass the torch to the, to the next person? Well, first off, we talked about this the very first week that we were in the Rooted series. Budget proximity. Let people around you who are young in their faith or maybe even just close to the faith, they're not quite there yet. Let them see you in this process, the good and the bad. Let them watch as the transformation takes place. And guess what? They're going to watch you fail. If you let people close enough in your life, they're going to be disappointed in your failures. But see, that's part of the sanctifying work of, of God in us. It's not like our, our sanctification is like, here's the cross, and when I got saved, boom, 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 boom. It's like, like going up, raging bull, and it's, that's the way it is to, the, to like die. No. If you've been at Six Flags and you're raging bull, raging bull goes up, and then it's like all over the place. Budget proximity so that people get to watch you on the roller coaster of what God's doing in your life because they're going to get a chance to see what the Holy Spirit does after you fail, after you're disappointed, after you've gone through that tragedy. They're going to watch that and they're going to see the victories and the moments when God steps in when no one else thought he could. Budget proximity. Invite people close enough in your life they get a chance to see it. And then invite them to join you in the things that God uses to change you. So this is something where you get a chance to say to someone who's at work or in your family, you know what, I'd love for you to, to, to come with me to this Bible study. I'm in this small group. Or, or drop in with me at church. Because all of a sudden, they get a chance to watch and see what is it that God's using to change you. Help them know how you read the Bible. Hey, you know what, I struggle with reading the Bible, but this has actually been helping me. And then all of a sudden, you get a chance to pass that torch on to them. 
This world is waiting to see what it looks like, even a glimpse, even for a second, even for a moment of what transformation looks like. And you get a chance to be a part of that process. There's a short film, not a short film, it's more of a short documentary, um, just a couple minutes long, uh, called, it's, it's a French film, uh, For Only a Second, If For Only a Second. And they invited 20 people um, who have been diagnosed with cancer, some of them terminally um, diagnosed with cancer. They're going through chemotherapy, they're, they're, you know, they've lost their hair. And they invited these people um, to uh, come be a part of a project because as they were interviewing them, one of the things that they were saying is like, tell me about this reality now that you have this disease. And one of the things they said is, the thing that that kills me is that I used to be so carefree and I'm so full of life. I lived life to the full, but I do so no longer. There's nothing in my life that's carefree from that point on. And so what they decided to do was to, to put wigs on them. And have them close their eyes as they did their makeup and, and did these wigs. Not with hair that they would normally wear, but just to, just to have their eyes closed. And then they were going to have them open their eyes and look at themselves in a mirror and capture that second, a moment of being carefree. And I just wanted to show you the end part of that short little documentary, if for only a second. Take a look. And every time is that line to forget the illness if for only a second. See, we, we live in a world where the illness of sin has broken each and every one of us. And the thing that our Creator does is He does not merely mask or even, even put something on to give us the uh, opportunity to return to a, a life that's full. 
he's actually taking care of the illness. And the process of sanctification in our life is this God who loves us entering into our story to restore us. Tim Keller put it this way, to be loved but not known is superficial. To be known and not loved is our great fear. But to be known and loved, that transforms you. The transformational work of God is a reality that our story begins with the God who was building his family and he hasn't stopped. He's building his family back together. Where are you in this process? Have you given your life to him at the point? And if, if you have, have you said that you're allowing him to continue that work of finishing you, even the nitty gritties, to be that person who Jesus has called you to be? You know, um, every month we, we sit here and we remember what started that. The fact that, that Jesus gave his body and his blood. When we take communion, that's what we're doing. If you're someone who's never asked Jesus to forgive your sins, you're somebody that's, that's never come to that point, that process hasn't started because that point's never started, then you have the opportunity to simply say, I recognize that you created me and called me good, my people, my, my race, but my race has been poisoned by sin. And yet you love me so much that you entered into that. And in that reality, you have stepped in and started a transformational process in me. When we take the bread, we remember that. When we take the juice, we remember that. If you have never made that decision, you've never come to that point, I want to encourage you to feel free to come forward and talk with me and I'll pray with you. For everyone else, I'm going to encourage you to exit your rows on the left-hand side, take the bread and the juice, bring it back to your seats, and spend some moments asking God, where am I on this process? You started the point. Where am I on this process? And what aspects of my heart do I need to turn over to you? Do that now.